Well, good to see you this morning, and happy Father's Day. How many of you have had a week? Anybody? Oh, good. You've all had a smooth week. Oh, some, somebody had a week, too. Um, well, you know, I have been more and more impressed as I'm seeing events take place in this world that there are roaring lions out there. They're, they're roaring. They're threatening. They're, you know, the land has, that we see a cloud coming over everything. And the more I see this, the more I am eager to get m grounded in the word, grounded and growing in faith, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can have the faith muscles to operate in this time and in the days ahead. And so uh, we, I, we just have a privilege that we can come together, hear God's word. We have a privilege that we can carry the word in our homes, in our hearts. The devil cannot take the word away from you. That's why we want to internalize it, have it ours. You know, you may lose the book sometime. They may come after our book someday. Who knows? But the word that we have in our hearts and the love for the good, good father that we sang of, that the enemy cannot take, and that is what can get you through in the days ahead. And so I've got a Father's Day message today because this is about a father in the Bible, but it's not about how to be a good father. It's about how to learn from this good father. And uh, we can thank Mary Mason for today's message as well. She challenged me. She said, you, you preached on Mary. I've never heard a message about Joseph. I'd like to hear a message about Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And I wasn't even thinking about doing a Father's Day message, but I thought, okay, challenge accepted. So we're going to talk about Joseph today, and if it's no good, you can talk to Mary. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thank you. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate her input. I appreciate interest in the word, and you guys have been great all the time. You're interested, you're listening, and and uh, so, hey, amen. All right, so let's talk about Joseph, because Joseph is an important figure in the Bible. Now, we talked about Mary, and the problem with Mary was is that a lot of people don't talk about Mary because they just put her into the Catholic tradition, say, she's for the Catholics, not for us. Now, we learned that through Mary, we learned there's a wonderful example of faith there, of worship, of pondering the word, treasuring the word in your heart and things like that. But she is big in the Catholic tradition, right? Joseph is number two, numero dos. Joseph is called the patron saint of the Catholic Church. He's number two only to Mary. Hopefully they're both number two to Jesus. But Joseph comes right after Mary, and he's been called the patron saint, patron saint of fathers, patron saint of the entire Catholic Church. There are even entire countries, you know, under the Catholic order that have the Feast of Joseph. It's on March 19, and that's when they honor fathers. They honor fathers on the Feast of Joseph. We honor fathers, uh, what, every, whatever the week it is in June that we do it. It, it varies, right? But March 19th is the Feast of Joseph, and that's when they honor uh, fathers. So there he is. From Scripture, we learn that he's a descendant of David, and he's thought to have died sometime uh, after Jesus' episode in the temple when they lost him and they sought after Jesus, and Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? 
sometime between that time and when Jesus started his public ministry, you get no mention of Joseph anywhere in Scripture. And so a lot of people take, well, he must have passed away, died during that time sometime. And so there's not a lot mentioned about Joseph, just a, a little bit here and there. And yet we get a, a, a message even in the fact that there's not much mentioned about Joseph. We get a lesson from this. And what's the lesson? Well, Joseph was placed in a very high, honorable, important position, being the earthly guardian, father, keeper of Jesus. And there's not a whole lot written about him relatively compared to others in the Bible. So the first lesson we can learn is that you may be very important in the kingdom. You may be very honorable you may be very esteemed that the Father would choose you, and yet you don't get much recognition or attention. You, you're not as recognized the way you'd want to be. You know, we, wa we all want the attention. We all want esteem. But the Lord has a different way of using people than the world does. And if we don't have our attention and recognition now, we're promised attention and recognition from the Holy Spirit, from the Father, from our relationship with him, and we know that in the end, uh, there will be all kinds of recognition when we go into the kingdom, and we're going to be surprised at many. We say, oh, I didn't know it was you, and sometimes you can be praying for someone and be the whole cause of the success of their ministry. Uh, hint, hint, be, please be praying for me, okay? Because sometimes it's the prayers of those who aren't recognized that that uh, boosts up those who are. I think Billy Graham used to mention he knew it wasn't you know, him. He knew that it was some faithful people that were praying for him. I know Charles Spurgeon always had people praying during his services, and, and on and on we could go. But it's not, not just praying that doesn't get recognized. You could be doing great things for the community. You could be doing great things in your workplace, in schools, or whatever, and still you know, people don't seem to notice, but God notices. And it doesn't make you less important or less honored in the eyes of heaven. And Paul said that everyone is a significant part of the body, even the unmentionables. And those are usually the most important parts of the body. Amen? So um, there it is, the first lesson. Now, we do get several lessons from what is revealed. Um, and what is revealed about Joseph, mostly we can get information about him from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. So let's read through that. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, 
and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So at the beginning, in verse 19, it says that Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. The Bible tells us that Joseph was just, and another word for that is righteous. But it gives us a clue to his righteousness and his just, his justification, was that he wanted to put Mary away, uh, but not wanting to make her a public example. I mean, consider the fact that from the appearances, it looked like Mary was unfaithful. That would be the natural appearance. And so what would the just thing be to do? Well, according to Jewish law, the just thing would to be put her away, divorce her. And even Jewish law allowed for the stoning of the unfaithful one to death. So there it was right there. And Joseph was just, he was observant of the law. He knew the law. He had taken Jesus to the temple when he was a child and at the feast of Passover. Joseph was a man who was just and righteous because he observed God's law. He was looking to God's law. But here it says he was just not wanting to make a public example of Mary. And so you consider that he wanted to do this quietly and that he uh, was concerned for the one who, who supposedly was unfaithful to him. Now you say, well, you know, they were just betrothed. In ancient Jewish times, betrothal was equal to marriage. In fact, there were two parts to the wedding or the marriage uh, legality. One was the betrothal and one was the actual wedding ceremony. But once you were betrothed, you were legally married. So what happened in those ancient times is that the wife would stay in the father's house betrothed, belonging to her husband. And then they would have the wedding ceremony, and that would be the ceremony in which she leaves the father's house and is consummated with the husband. But all along, they are legally bound through the betrothal. So here was a problem for Joseph. Uh, Joseph had found, or she had been found with child, right? And that, that was a problem because it wasn't Joseph. He did not know her, it said. So here he was not giving in to what most people would probably give in to, especially in our cancel culture. What happens? You did wrong. Cancel. Cancel. Joseph was not good at this. Joseph did not make a big voice, a big stink, a loud noise about Mary. Look what she did. Look what happened. The victim, you know. We are in a culture of victims, victimhood. And that it's almost a badge of honor to be a victim in our day. I was wronged. I want vindication, right? And so I'm going to make it known that I was wrong. I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to post this, this, and this. And you better like this and not argue with me or you're canceled. Joseph wouldn't have done well in this situation today. But what are we learning from this? There is a place where we do not have to assume the victim mentality, even though he might have justly considered himself a victim. She was unfaithful to me. By all appearances, she was unfaithful. But 
he was looking from a position of strength and security. Imagine that, someone who is so strong and secure in who they are that they don't have to get the attention, the, the recognition, the, the vindication from the public. You know, as, as, as soon as we're wronged, we tend to want to call people up, get people around us and say, yeah, you were wrong, yeah, we want validation. And I'm not saying that that's always, always bad. I mean, we need comfort, we need help. And, but I'm just saying, Joseph was special here. He wasn't going to make this a big issue. He wasn't going to do, he said he was going to put her away secretly. And that's pretty, pretty powerful. It says something about his strength and his security. Would to God that we all could be strong and secure knowing our relationship with the Lord that we wouldn't fall apart every time something bad happens or something contradictory to us happens, that we didn't get our way or things didn't work out the way we had hoped. Wouldn't it be great if we were strong and secure and said, it's okay, God's going to see me through. God's going to do something. And that's what we can get to. I, I haven't totally arrived there yet, but that's what I'm working on. That's why I'm saying we got to grow in these things because more and more we're, we're out there and, and things aren't going to go our way but we can be strong and secure in who we are as God's children, just like Joseph was strong. And he must have been God-focused in this, because like I told you, the, the wedding was one part, the betrothal was another. Where did that tradition come from? It came from way back in ancient Jewish times, and that tradition came out of a lack of respect for women at that time. Women were treated as goods. They were purchased, they would, they would be betrothed as purchased goods, and then it would go to the wedding, and that's where they would move out of the father's house and go to the one who had purchased them, right? So in those ancient times, they were as purchased goods. So I'm not saying that's what Joseph did. In the, they were, that was how the tradition developed. I'm not saying that that was Joseph's situation. But what we see is that Joseph was honoring Mary as a valuable person, not anything like a good. If he had had a mindset to the goods, he would have had no problem making a large uh, deal out of it, and he would have been legally allowed to have her stoned in the middle of the city, according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, 22, um, 22, verse 24. So Joseph instead honored the woman, and that's what a good father does, honors the woman. That's what a good Christian does, honors others above themselves, even as they are, are wrong. He said uh, that he was going to put her away secretly, the English Standard Version says he resolved to divorce her quietly. And so this shows his selflessness. He must have been God-focused. At least he was other-focused, right? So, you know, I talked about cancel culture. People do a lot of virtue signaling, and they want to show that they are, that they've been wronged, or even if they haven't been wronged, they want to make a political stand sometime, and they want to say, look, I, I believe this, and you need to agree with me. It's all a matter of self-righteousness. When we have to make a loud noise about our position and have to cancel out those who disagree, it is a practice of self-righteousness. And 
God had a lot of harsh things to say about self-righteousness in the Bible. Jesus had the harshest words for the Pharisees who were self-righteous. Here, Joseph gives an example in which he's called just or righteous. Not self-righteous, but he truly is righteous. And the key thing that is making him righteous is not his stand on a moral issue, but his giving honor to another. He was selfless, not looking to himself for his own vindication, but he was looking with care and concern for another. How much like God is this? God who put Jesus on the cross for sinner's sake and Jesus himself who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wasn't bringing it upon himself and saying, avenge me. But he was saying, forgive them. Stephen, when he's getting stoned, followed Jesus and said, don't hold this to their account. Wow, that is, that is being godlike. And I, I'm staying, staying a long time on this because our culture is totally contrary to this. Look what Luke 6, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 35 says about the Lord. It says, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Praise God for that. I am thankful that God is kind to the unthankful and evil. Look at how the Lord operates. If he wasn't kind to the unthankful and evil, we'd all have had it, right? But if you want to be like the Lord, you call yourself a Christian and you're trying to grow in Jesus Christ, what are you going to do when someone wrongs you? You know, Jesus himself said, bless those who curse you. Well, you know, that's just so contrary. We like our Marvel movies, and we want to see the Avengers. You know, you know, let's make them pay. Now, evil must be stopped. You know, there's, we, we, we can't be passive about evil. If we can do something to stop evil, we should do something to stop evil. But I'm talking about when personal things come your way, and it's just about you, you can be like God, who is kind to the unthankful and the evil. In fact, that might be the thing that turns their hearts and turns them around. In Romans 12, it talks about blessing those who curse you, not repaying evil for evil, and it's like heaping burning coals upon their head. It also allows the Lord to do the vindication. You can do vindication if you want. The Lord can have a better effect. And so, how... How much of a witness can that be for us in our day, in our time, our culture, when offense is so great and magnified all the time that we can be strong and secure knowing who we believe, whom we believe, and who dwells within us, that we can be strong and say, hey, you know, I'll let God take care of this. And meanwhile, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be God-focused. I'm going to be other-focused. Honor others above yourself. In Romans 12, 20, uh, 21 I mentioned says do not be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good so Joseph had it in mind to overcome evil with good and you know what when you do that you get blessed you will get a blessing you know most people get eaten up with bitterness but if they decide to overcome evil with good now God steps in and says you're going to be blessed and so what happens the very next uh, line in verse 20 he gets some good news he had thought to do this secretly, put her away secretly. He was going to be God-honoring, other person-honoring. And the angel says, um, while he thought these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, 
for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Here's some good news. Good news. Wait a second. Stop what you're Stop what you're thinking. There's good news here, but there's also something fearful about it, too. What, what's fearful? It's good news, and it's fearful news. It says, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. So we learned that Joseph had to have some courage. There was some encouragement. This is good news. This is of the Holy Spirit. This is of God. There was some encouragement, but along with encouragement, courage is required. The same goes with us. We can be encouraged when you hear the gospel, when you hear that Jesus has forgiven you, that Jesus is calling you to follow him, to serve him, to obey, to turn away from sin. Well, that could be a fearful thing. It's good news that you can know where you're going. You can know where you're growing. You can know that your end is good and that God can take you to a higher place and that we have a heavenly inheritance. We're joint heirs with Christ. That's all good news. But do not be afraid. You need to make some changes. I mean, it's, you, don't, you don't just stay where you are. You follow him. Jesus said, follow me. You grow as a disciple. And that could bring some, some fearful things in today's world. Well, what was going to be fearful with Joseph? He had to have courage. He was going to take Mary anyway to be his wife. And think of the shame that might have been surrounding that whole situation. She was found with child before they came together. What were the people thinking at that time? We're not told about what they're thinking, but it was a situation in which Joseph was bringing a shameful uh, coat around him, so to speak. He was going to clothe himself with the uh, misunderstanding that was going to come from outside. And again, as we be followers of Jesus and we want to do his will, we can be misunderstood and it and the culture can say, I, this is, you know, they start calling evil good and good evil, and suddenly you have to face this business of people's perspectives, and what do they think of me? And when I first got saved, what, what were my friends going to think of me? Well, I didn't care anymore. And Joseph would have to be courageous and not care anymore, too. I don't care what people think. This is of God. I'm going to go with it. Same goes for us. We have to say, what's of the Lord? Are we going to be courageous and go boldly? Are we going to speak boldly? Are we going to stand for his righteousness in these days in which it's not very popular? Yeah, preacher, come on. Anyway, um, that's the thing. It, sometimes it can be uh, difficult, but Joseph showed himself courageous, and uh, he would also have to uh, be courageous as in Matthew 2.13, 2, the angel commanded him uh, to take, in Matthew 2.13, do I have this? He, well, he, no, I don't. But he, the angel commanded him to flee to Egypt because Herod was going after the child. Herod wanted to get rid of any other king figure that was born at that time. And Joseph would have to go flee to Egypt. In both instances, Joseph was obedient. So we have obedience sometimes obedience requires courage and sometimes it means that you are in some kind of danger there are many christians in the world that are in danger we're not so much in danger in our culture yet and hopefully we never will be but there are people who are meeting in secret and and uh, i you know i stopped going to china because there is more danger for christians meeting together now than there was when we were there, and I don't want to put them in that danger. 
So obedience can be uh, a fearful thing. However, it is, it is birthed out of the good news. This is of God, and God has a plan. And we don't have to be worried about people's perspective when we're focused on God's plan. Joseph was more concerned with God's plan than people's perspective. Right? Are you focused more on God's plan or people's perspective? And again, I don't know if I'm, I've all arrived yet myself, but that's what I'm growing towards, and I need to be as focused on God's plan and not worry about people's perspective. And I haven't been, you know, leaving for China, a lot of people say, what, what's wrong with you? You're throwing out your career and everything like that. And Well, people said, you're going to Knoxville, what's wrong with you? And I just, I'm not worried about if God's leading, if it's of God, it doesn't matter what others' perspectives are. And so that's what we can learn from Joseph. He was going to put Mary away secretly. He was going to take her as his wife in spite of the possible shame that could be around that. And when the Lord told him to flee to Egypt, we learned that he was preparing for the danger that was to come. He was preparing for the storm. He didn't know everything that was going to happen, but you read later that Herod went and attacked every child that was under two years old, two years old or under. But Joseph was wise, and he fled being prepared for the storm. Noah built an ark being prepared for the storm. Are we being prepared for the storm? What's this? I'm not talking about the economic collapse or whatever's going to happen on this earth. I'm talking about the final judgment that's to come. There is a judgment day coming in which everything is going to be righted, and that's our hope and that's our blessing because God has said, you're exempt from that because you have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. Have you been made righteous in Christ Jesus? You don't have to fear the judgment, but that's because you're prepared and, and you want to continue in Christ, growing as his disciple and being prepared because the time is coming of judgment and most people out there they reject the gospel they reject the good news because they don't really think about the bad news but there's a storm coming and it's not even the judgment there is tough times coming upon earth and the gospel can bring strength and hope and help and healing even now before judgment time comes so Joseph shows us an example. He's obedient. We need to be obedient. He's courageous. He's not afraid of the people's perspective. He's more concerned with God's plan. And he's prepared for the coming days ahead. And that's why we gather together. We exhort each other all the more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 25. So that's what Joseph is up to. And then look at verse 23 in Matthew 1. The... Uh, the angel continues to give him the good news, and he reveals that Mary is the fulfillment of prophecy. So 22 says, So all this was done, it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, which is Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Okay, so now... The angel has told Joseph some good news. This is according to Scripture. Now there is hope. We see that there is warrant for this situation. Joseph 
was thinking to put her away. Then the angel says, no, don't do that. Take her. This is of God. And by the way, this is what was written in the word. There's warrant for everything that's happening here. And we learn from this that God has reasonable and warrantable uh, uh, expectations of us, that God doesn't do anything capriciously, and that God reveals things through his scriptures. And that gives us a strong foundation from which to be brave and courageous and obey from because it is warranted in scripture. And you take this into some of God's commands that we need to be courageous about. You know, in our day, people are loose, loose, loose sexually. I'll just say that. And God has strict restrictions on sexuality and waiting till marriage. Oh, they'll laugh at me for saying that. Most people will laugh at me for saying that and it's just not even a thing anymore. But there's warrant for it in Scripture, and it's not capricious, and every command of God is not unreasonable. He has good reasons for that. He wants life for us. He wants better for us. He doesn't want us to fall into a snare. He doesn't want us to fall into a trap. He wants to save broken hearts. He wants to save misery and, and all kinds of problems that come from breaking his rules. And yet, if you speak his rules today, most people say, oh, you're old-fashioned, you're just back and, 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 you know, come on, get with the times. Well, I don't want to get with the times because the times are broken. I want to be whole and well, and I want to have an abundance of life. And those things that you're telling me to get with and to be in line with the times are the very things that are breaking this world down and breaking the times down. And we've got to get back to that We've got to be bold and courageous, but we can be because there is hope. The scriptures have showed us that it would be this way. And Joseph got hope when he heard that this is not only a fulfillment of scripture, but his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. How can you be courageous and faithful in spite of what people's perspectives are, in spite of the dangers out there? How can you be bold? God with us. There is great hope. There is great strength. God with us. And we can go further. Paul reveals it's not only God with us, but God in us. When you face the next situation that looks daunting, stop for a second. Say, wait a second. God in me. God with me. You know, too often the situation hits you and it, boom, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How am I going to fix this? I need help. Who am I going to call? You know, all that has its place. But first, stop. If you can remember, don't always, rem don't always remember. Sometimes it's just, boom, you, you, ever, you get hit and you're reeling. For, you, you see the cartoons with the stars circling around you. You get hit with situations and stars are just like the birds chirping like that. But once you come to, once you come, yeah, we didn't talk about the birds today. Um, once you come to, that's when you stop and say, wait a second, God with us. The, the scripture told me there would be days like this. The scripture told me that I would have strength for this, that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But most importantly, I got to remember, I got to remember, I have the living one, the holy one, the king of kings, and he's not forsaken me, and he's in me. And when I get my bearings straight, that helps me move forward. Amen. So that is what will strengthen us. And, uh, you know, Revelation, 
the book that we were, Dave and I were talking about Revelation a little bit today, and, you know, just looking at the end, getting a vision for what's ahead will strengthen you and heart you to, you know, to know that you do have a good end and that the end is not good for those who are not dwelling on these things. God in me, God with me, the grace of God, Jesus, my, my Savior, my Lord. Verse 24, Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Another lesson from Joseph is he was obedient. He did as the Lord commanded him. He took, he took uh, Mary to be his wife. And the thing about Joseph here is that it was an obedience from faith. And so what we can learn is when we obey, it's not obedience out of a fear of punishment. The Christian faith requires obedience. You should be obedient. Obedient, obedience proves that you are a child of God. You know, just read the book of 1 John. It shows that if you're not doing the works of God, if you're not obeying, you're not really a child of God. But the gospel puts us in a position where we obey not out of fear of punishment. In fact, it's because there is no punishment for those in Christ that the love of God is birthed in our hearts and it grows and motivates us to obey him out of faith, obedience from faith. And we know that Joseph is obeying from faith. The, the Lord interacts with us on a do not be afraid basis. The angel told Joseph, do not be afraid. How many times has the Lord spoken throughout Scripture? Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. So it's not a fear of punishment. And if you're obeying because you think God is sniffing down your neck all the time and holding a stick over you and wanting to beat you all the time, you're not in faith. No, you, that's when you've got to stop. You were reeling for a second. So wait a second, what did Jesus do? Jesus died because he gave me grace. He gave me his righteousness. And he's my savior. What does the word savior mean? Saved, rescued. Rescued from what? Rescued from punishment. Doesn't mean God's not going to discipline you. He loves you. You know, what kind of father fails to discipline their, their children? But he'll discipline us, but he's not punishing us. You don't have to think of him as putting a stick down your your neck or however holding a stick over to beat you with but i'm thankful for the discipline of god i'm thankful because i know that i'm gonna be messed up if i don't get a correction from heaven i'll run into the street if he doesn't say stop and then spank me to teach me a lesson right i, I gotta learn i gotta learn but it's not uh, obedience out of punishment you know he corrects us when we're off track off the bat but we want to do what's right we want to do what's good we want to obey just as we're commanded because of love and by faith not because this is this is going to get me in trouble if i don't i really believe that's how joseph was and we also learn from this that faith involves works you're reading the book of james in the sunday school faith without works is dead Again, you are saved by faith. And works are simply 
of fruit that comes from it. Because you are free, you love, you are loved. You know no greater love than the love of a dying Savior for undeserving sinners. And yet he brings you up and makes you a prince or a princess of his people. And that should produce something that results in works. That's what faith without works means. Um, or faith without works is dead. If you really believe it's love, and that love moves us to do crazy things, how many of you said to your spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend, I'll go to the moon and grab the moon for you, baby? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a hard thing to do, but see, love makes you want to do what's impossible. You say, it's impossible to walk like Jesus walked. No, it's not because you've got him walking in you, but your heart is there because of the love. So we learn obedience from Joseph, and um, sometimes it just goes contrary to the world or the natural order. You know, love your enemies, do good to your enemies. That is not the world's order, and that's contrary to the natural. But we're not just natural anymore. We're supernatural through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus and everything. And... The last thing here, or no, second to last thing, and we'll wrap this up. Joseph was faithful in staying away from Mary. He said he did not know her until after Jesus, after uh, she brought forth her firstborn son. So we learn self-control. Self-control, and again, self-control is when you're not self-focused. You've got a bigger picture. You've got a bigger plan. You've, you see something far greater to, to be about. And this is something our culture knows nothing. Our culture wants it now, wants it quick. Gratification at any cost, any, you know, this is the way we are. And it's like babies. Babies just want everything right now. If they don't get it now, what are they going to do? Cry, cry, cry. I want it. What, where is it? Where is it? They, they can't fathom or think that it's not good for them at this moment or it's not considerate of them at this moment. You know, no baby's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, you were busy. I'm, I need you anyway, you know, but they'll, they'll just cry and cry until you tend to them. But children, as they, as they get older, and I love the children, and we all were children, and we're still, some of us are adult children. We're still just grabbing for the instant gratification at any any turn but there's something to having the bigger picture the bigger perspective and saying there's a greater fulfillment if i just wait if i just hold off even though i'm hungry right now i can i'm going to be much better off you know am i talking a foreign language here i you know but this is what it's about we are people of faith we are trusting in a greater and as we go, God is merciful to make it greater even now, to give us what we need now and to bless us. But, you know, what would happen if Joseph didn't have self-control? I don't know how that might have messed up plans or something. And he wouldn't have been the highly honorable figure that we're talking about today. What would happen with athletes who are wanting the gold? They want to win that medal but they decided they were just too hungry for three musketeers bars right before the match and that was it you know there's discipline and there's discipline because there's a broader view there's a vision 
and that the Lord would open our eyes and give us vision that we could persevere and that we could be about his business and have self-control and know that it's, it's to our advantage and our blessing. And it said that Joseph called his name Jesus. Notice it says he called his name Jesus. Joseph, Joseph was obedient and called his name, but Joseph calling Jesus or naming Jesus is indicative or it implies that he was more than just a, a stepdad who was just in the picture somewhere. He was actively involved. He adopted Jesus. He was actively involved in Jesus' life, and we can see this from other hints in Scripture. For example, many times uh, when people saw Jesus, they said, isn't this the son of Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter's son? In several places, they, they, they saw Jesus as the son of Joseph. We know that Joseph was actively involved in Jesus' life. We learn from Scripture that Joseph was a carpenter, and we also learn that Jesus was a carpenter. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus was an apprentice or his father was his teacher. Um, I think it's clear that Joseph was actively involved in Jesus' life. He, Joseph brought Jesus to the temple when he, was, uh, when he had to be uh, purified, and not that he was unpure, but he was going through the ceremony, as Joseph, being an observant, righteous man, would do. And he also took Jesus to the temple during the feasts of Passover, and we learn uh, in the feast of Passover episode that Jesus went and stayed in the temple when the entourage and the family were all on their way. And it says that Mary and Joseph, in verse uh, Luke 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 48, says, When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, they found Jesus in the temple. And it says, His mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. All right, so all this is, I'm saying, Joseph was anxious when he thought he had lost Jesus. It means his heart was with his son. He was anxious for his son. His heart was with his son. He was actively involved. He named his son. It would have been very easy for Joseph just to say, you know, this is between the Lord and Mary. I'm not going to interfere with the Lord's plans, but, you know, he's not my son, but I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do, but he kind of just stays out of the picture. That wasn't the way Joseph was. Joseph was in the He called his name Jesus. He was anxious for him when he thought he was missing. He was so... Uh, involved in Jesus' life that Jesus became a carpenter like his father and people recognized their closest. Isn't this the son of Joseph? Joseph was actively involved. And what's that saying to us? We, we have a choice. Can we be actively involved? A lot of people come to church and they're just, I did my thing. Oh, I'm a part of it, yeah, but I'm not saying just to be actively involved in doing stuff at church here, but I mean, as far as, far as the kingdom goes, how actively involved are you in God's plan? God has a plan for you. God has a significant, honorable, important plan for each of his children. Otherwise, why would he not just take us home the minute we placed our faith in Jesus? He has us here for a reason, for a season and a reason, and we want to be about his business and we can learn from joseph that we don't have to just sit on the sidelines but we can be 
very anxious for the Lord's presence in our lives. And we can be very much involved with Jesus. And better yet, Jesus can be involved with us. Active involvement. We learned that from Joseph. And some of you may have had fathers in your life that weren't actively involved. That is a sad tragedy. Or maybe they were involved in a way you didn't like and it was too active or something. That is a tragedy. And that we are, the world is suffering because of poor or missing fathers. But we know that the Heavenly Father is not like any of that. The Heavenly Father is perfect. Hallowed be thy name. He is set apart. He is not like any earthly father. He only wills good for his children. He loves us with a love that gave, that sacrificed for us. And that Heavenly Father is always, always actively involved in your life if you'll allow him to be. He's not going to force you, and he's not holding a stick over you, like I said before. But if you'll allow him, he is actively involved. And sometimes you might say, well, it doesn't seem like he's involved right now. Are you allowing him to be involved? Have you stopped and said, wait a second, he's with me. Are you trusting in his plan more than your limited perspective or other people's perspective? God wants to be actively involved in our lives, more so than any perfect father on this earth. As we sang, he's a good, good father. More than good, he is a perfect father. And Jesus is a perfect son. Jesus entrusted himself to these two imperfect people, Mary and Joseph. Sorry, Catholic Church, he was imperfect. She was imperfect. Nobody was perfect but Jesus. But Jesus entrusted himself to normal people, and we qualify for that. We're not perfect, we're normal. He can entrust himself to us. He can be actively involved in our lives if we can be actively involved in his. Will you own Jesus the way Joseph owned him? He was anxious for him. He was involved with him. He, he worked with him as a carpenter. And he had the high privilege and honor to be entrusted with the pivot point of God's plan of redemption. And we all have that high honor to be a part of what God is doing. This is an amazing thing. You may not get the attention or recognition now, you may not even recognize what you're a part of, but it's all going to come to light, and we're going to say, wow, that God would include us, and that God would be involved with us when we really see everything as it is in truth. Right now, it's by faith. Then it will be by sight. And there's not going to be one person saying, man, I'm sorry I put off that instant gratification. I'm sorry I, I quit what was so addictive before. And all, nobody's going to be, people are going to say, why didn't I? give more amen so lord we just thank you we thank you that you are the perfect father and i know there are people here lord that need your loving touch as a father and uh, i pray that any wrongs that have been suffered in the past any any uh, thing that has scarred the father uh, image i pray that you would override that right now by your spirit by a sense of your love and those of us who have had good fathers that you just give us a sense of your perfect love and even the how it's beyond what we can fathom so we thank you lord that you've involved yourself in ours 
our story and that uh, you would have us in yours. I pray as we go forward today that you would build us up as your sons and continue to train us, equip us to do your will out of faith and love in Jesus' name. Amen.